the sixth month after Elizabeth had become pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. He was sent to a virgin. The girl was engaged to a man named Joseph. He came from the family line of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel greeted her and said, The Lord has blessed you in a special way. He is with you. Mary was very upset because of his words. She wondered what kind of greeting this could be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. God is very pleased with you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. You must call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will make him a king like his father David of long ago. The Son of the Most High God will rule forever over his people. They are from the family line of Jacob. That kingdom will never end. How you guys doing this morning? Good? Good. Excellent. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you all. Kids, I'm excited to have you guys in service this morning. Uh, it's the first Sunday of the month, so we like to uh, keep our kids in here with us. I'm so glad to have you all here. We're diving in uh, to a series. We're putting Romans on pause uh, through the month of December and diving into a series uh, called Advent Conspiracy. Uh, we looked at this a few years ago, uh, and we're coming back and uh, doing this series again. This was uh, put together uh, by a couple pastors in Oregon. The word Advent, uh, as many of you know, means arrival. Uh, and so during December, we await the arrival of Jesus, and we celebrate that and, and, and look forward to it. Uh, we have Advent calendars, Advent wreaths. But then there's this word, conspiracy. What does it mean to conspire? Conspire means to act or work together towards the same result or goal. At least one of the definitions means that. Now, it usually has a negative connotation, right? Conspiracy theories, uh, stuff like that. But the way that they're using it is to work together to flip the script, to do something contrary to what's been done in the past. And so Advent Conspiracy gives four ways to flip the script on Christmas, to change how we approach the Advent season. And they are worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. And so as we go through this Advent season, we're going to be spending a week on each of these. So we're starting with worship fully this week. And each week, what we're going to do is we're going to give you one sentence. One sentence for you to take away. And if you don't catch anything else, catch this one sentence. Uh, and this is your one blank fill-in this morning. So our one sentence for today is, Worship fully by recapturing the wonder of Jesus' birth. Worship fully by recapturing the wonder of Jesus' birth. And this is where we're headed today. Go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be hopping around a lot, but the two places we're going to hang out in is the first two chapters of Luke and the first two chapters of Matthew. So you can go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. And as you do that, let's, let's talk about this idea of worship. There is no denying that worship was and thus should be a central part of Christmas. We see worship throughout the Christmas story. 
The prophets call people to worship. Mary worships. The angels worship. The shepherds worship. Simeon and Anna worship. The wise men worship. We see it over and over and over. Let's start with the prophets. There are hundreds of prophecies concerning Jesus in the books of Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea, Micah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. But let me just point out three of them to you. And look for worship. First of all, in Psalm 72, verses 10 and 11, it says, May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. Kids, what's this talking about? Who's this talking about? Kids, who's this talking about? May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. Who brought gifts? Wise men. There we go. Yeah. May all the kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. So we see worship right here. In Zechariah chapter 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So again, we see worship. And in Isaiah chapter 9, a passage many of you are familiar with, especially around this season. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So the prophets call people to worship Mary worships. Here in uh, Luke chapter 1, she's told that she'll have a son. And then she goes and visits Elizabeth. And Elizabeth even calls out uh, in verse 42 of chapter 1. Elizabeth says, she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb, John the Baptist, leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary's response in all of this is worship. Look as we dive in uh, to Luke 1, verses 46 to 55. Pay attention to how many times she talks about God versus herself. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich, he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Twelve times she calls out what God has done 
Mary worships. The angels worship. Look just a little bit over in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now here we see an echo of a verse we just read. In Isaiah 9.6, a passage people would be super familiar with at that time. We're told, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And what does the angel say? For unto you is born this day. He's making sure that they know this. This is the guy that we were talking about. And then, in verse 13 of Luke chapter 2, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is an echo of Psalm 148, which says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. The angels worshipped. Not only did the prophets call people to worship, Mary worshipped, the angels worshipped, but the shepherds worshipped. As we continue on uh, through the narrative, the shepherds worshipped, The angels went away, and the shepherds said, let us go over to Bethlehem. And when they say, let us go, this isn't, hey, uh, we're not really doing anything. Let's let's go on over there. No, this was with great urgency. We got to go. We got to go right now. Let's go over to Bethlehem. There's something that's lost in the translation. And there's huge urgency. And we catch a little bit of that in verse 16. And they went with haste. And found Mary and Joseph. And then look down to verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So the shepherds worship. And then as we keep going through Luke chapter 2, we hear about these two people, Simeon and Anna. And I I wish they would get talked more about uh, because I just love who these two are. Uh, Both of these uh, people have been waiting their whole lives to see the Messiah. In fact, Simeon had been promised, you will not die until you see the Messiah, until the Messiah comes. So he knew it was going to happen in his lifetime. And look at how the two of them worship. Simeon in Luke chapter 2, verse 28 He took him up in his arms. He held the baby Jesus and blessed God. And blessed God. He worshipped. And then look at Anna. 
down in verse 37. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon and Anna worshipped. And then the wise men flip over to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we get to hear about these wise men. Starting in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now there's a little dialogue that happens back and forth with Herod, with the wise men, etc., etc., down to verse 9. And listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. As I said before, there is no denying that worship was and thus should be a central part of Christmas. So what about us? This was them. What about us? Well, there are plenty of Christmas songs we sing that are worshipful. Angels we have heard on high. Go tell it on the mountain. O come all ye faithful. Hark the herald angels sing. Joy to the world. But Christmas has become so much more than its beginnings, hasn't it? Santa Claus is coming to town. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. Frosty the snowman. Shopping. Decorating. Christmas cookies. Christmas trees. Christmas cards. Christmas candy. Christmas presents. Christmas parties. On and on it goes. Now, while there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves, how much we invest in these things can easily distract us from our worship. These things can take a season that should begin with worship and should be about worship, as the rest of our lives should be, and make it something else. They can keep you from worshiping fully. Now, there are plenty, ways to, plenty of ways to make sure you worship fully each Christmas season. I just want to address one. Remember our one sentence. Worship fully by recapturing the wonder of Jesus' birth. Worship fully by recapturing the wonder of Jesus' birth. Let me pause for just a second and talk about redwoods. Redwood trees. I love taking out-of-town visitors to go and see redwoods. In fact, as a kid, when any one of my parents' siblings would come to town, we'd have to go and see the Redwoods. Um, I went to Henry Cowell Redwoods Park you know, more times than can be imagined sometimes. You know? We just always went out there because we got to go see the Redwoods. In fact, I recently heard someone from the South marvel at the size and fortitude of these trees. Can you believe how big these things are? And I'm like, yeah, I can't. 
you know, I've been around them for a while. But look at some of these pictures uh, that I've taken throughout the years. This is uh, at Memorial Park, where we do our Labor Day camping trip every year. Just beautiful. This is at Henry Cowell. Just an amazing, amazing tree. This is at Mirror Woods. <coughs> then another one over at Henry Cowell. Just incredible. Majestic, these trees. And these amazing trees. These two are right out front. <laughs> Anyone see him as he, he come in? Now, how often do you stop and wonder at these trees? We probably don't wonder often because we're so familiar with them. See, familiarity can cause us to miss what Christmas is all about. If you've grown up in the church, if you're familiar with the Christmas story, it kind of just rolls off your ears sometimes. Yeah, shepherds, wise men, angels, okay, blah, blah, blah. Even as you sing some of these songs, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Did you hear that line? God and sinners reconciled. God and sinners reconciled. But as many of you may be, I'm guilty of just brushing over it. Why? Because I'm familiar with it. I know what's coming up. I know I can be thinking about something else while I'm singing. Yeah, okay, I got a couple other things I got to do, but yeah, peace on earth. Yeah, I can do both things at the same time because I know it, you know? Now, familiarity is not necessarily a bad thing. I love that I got to grow up knowing the Christmas story. I'm glad that as a family, we spent time each year reading out of Isaiah, out of Matthew, and out of Luke. Though, Dad, I've I got to be honest, um, sometimes I, I wanted to be done pretty quickly so we could open presents, um, which is why I would often volunteer to read, because I knew I could bust through it pretty quick. Um, honesty. When you have your dad sitting right there, I, yeah. <laughs> but I'm thankful that we did that, because I know those passages well. I'm glad that my kids get to grow up knowing the truth about Christmas, that Christmas will always be associated with the birth of Christ for them. That excites me. But just as we saw with these redwood trees, familiarity can reduce or make it more difficult to wonder. Let's talk about wonder. There's two different definitions for this word wonder. One is to think or speculate curiously, which many of you are familiar with. But the other definition is to be filled with admiration, amazement, or awe, to marvel. And twice in the book of Luke, we see this contrast. So if you want to flip back to Luke, you, you can. I'm going to also have these verses up on the screen. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 21... 
Zechariah goes into the temple and it says, and the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. So there they are thinking or speculating curiously, what happened to Zechariah? Why is Zechariah taking a long time? But then later, same word is used in Luke 1.63. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. When the baby was born, everyone expected for him to be named Zechariah because that was his family name. But he said, his name is John. And they all wondered. They were filled with awe or admiration. They weren't curious because they were curious before and came and asked, like, are, are you sure? Because Elizabeth had said, hey, his name's going to be John. I'm like, wait, hold up. Let's ask Zachariah. And he said, no, his name's going to be John. And they, were, they all wondered. And then in Luke chapter 2, as uh, the shepherds are there around the baby, we see, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And again, we see this contrast here. We see it, Mary pondering these things. So thinking or speculating curiously. But then all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. They were filled with awe or admiration, amazement. So as we continue to talk about wonder this morning, I'll be talking about the definition regarding amazement, awe, and admiration. So as we think about it, think about that. Amazement, awe, wonder. See, wonder makes things amazing. How a watch works. A magic trick. When you wonder at a magic trick, it makes it amazing. Or standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. Or even just enjoying a well-made meal. Wow. What is this spice in here? This is fantastic. Especially a guy that grew up eating cereal as a single guy for years. And then getting married and going, you can cook with something besides the microwave? Wonder. (laughs) Amazement. But the Christmas story as well. When you wonder at the Christmas story, it can make it amazing. Look at the faces. Look at the faces of these people. There's joy. There's excitement. There's reverence. There's awe. But that's them. What about us? How do we wonder at Christmas? I've got to say, kids, you are the best at this. There's an innocence and natural inclination that kids have to wonder. But as we get older, we get cynical and analytical and just steer away from wonder. So, how do we get back there? How do we recapture wonder? How do we recapture wonder? It begins with a different mindset. Like I said, wonder makes things amazing if you approach it that way. A magic trick can be amazing if you simply sit and enjoy. However, the wonder can disappear if your goal is to analyze or dissect. Christmas can be amazing if you're open to it. But you need to approach the season ready to wonder. 
So I encourage you, be sure to find some time where you can stop planning, decorating, stressing, wrapping, driving, cooking, shopping, and just wonder at the season. It's really amazing when you take the time to look. This may take the form of reading a daily devotional, doing an Advent Bible reading plan, taking time as a family to sing worship songs together, watch a movie that points to the true reason for the season. On and on goes the list. The key is to find something that gets you in a mindset ready to wonder. But how do we recapture wonder? We go back to where it all began. First of all, this is real. These people really lived. And I know a lot of you grew up going to church. You're like, yeah, sure. No, stop and think about it for a second. This really happened. Angels really showed up in the sky and gave a message to shepherds. A virgin woman really carried Jesus for nine months and gave birth to the Savior. Wise men really traveled possibly hundreds of miles to come and see this new king. There really was a bright star up in the sky. This is real. But so what? Well, God made the unexpected a reality. Time after time, God made the unexpected a reality, which drove those involved to wonder and worship fully. First of all, Mary. Mary was chosen. Mary unexpectedly got pregnant, but she clearly understood what was happening, at least to some extent. She was amazed that God chose her. She says in Luke 1.48, he has looked on the humble estate of her servant, of his servant. Mary wondered. She was in awe and amazement. God made the unexpected a reality. The shepherds were valued. Shepherds in that day were the lowly, the outcasts. They had no credibility in court they were kept out of the cities. No one wanted anything to do with shepherds. And of all the people God could have brought his message to, he chose them. Again, unexpected. But it was real, and it happened. And it caused them to wonder, wait, God, you picked us? The wise men believed they traveled so far based on older writings and the appearance of an astrological anomaly. Yet their faith was rewarded, not by a regal baby in a throne room or a palace, but rather by a baby in a feeding trough surrounded by stinky animals. And they knew to still worship. The wise men wondered. Here's something totally unexpected. Okay, we're going to travel across. And, and, and there was this baby. Simeon and Anna understood. These two people who had been waiting their entire lives knew who this baby was. They got it when many 
others didn't. And as we read, Anna ran around. You guys got to know who this is. This is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. Listen to me. He's here. God made the unexpected a reality. And all of this is worthy of wonder. But it pales in comparison to the center of the Christmas story. To where our focus should always be. God with us. If you're still in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, it says this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. This is out of Isaiah. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This should make us wonder like nothing else. God with us. Now, first of all, this word with, it's not God over us. It's not God near us. God is not removed. He doesn't keep his distance. He is in the trenches. He is with us. And then this word us. Us means you. It means me. It means those before us and those after us. He's here for all of us. But I want to focus on the fact that this is God with us. God with us. Who is this God? Listen to this passage out of Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? And on goes God for the next few chapters laying out who He is. God. Listen now in Revelation chapter 5. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That is our God. That is our God. This is who came to earth as a baby. 
His birth was announced to shepherds. And he was laid on hay in a wood or stone feeding trough. The God of the universe did all of that. That should make you wonder. I'm reading in this uh, Christmas, this Advent devotional. I just want to read you a little section out of it. God would take on human flesh and invade his sin-broken world with his wisdom, power, glory, and grace. But he wouldn't descend to a palace. Instead, the Lord Almighty, the Creator, the Sovereign King over all things, would humble himself and take on the form of a servant. He would live on our behalf the life we could never have lived. He would willingly die the death that you and I deserve to die. And he would rise from his tomb as the conqueror of sin and death. He would suffer every single day of his life so that he could, with his life, give grace to rebels, extend love to those who would deny his existence, impart wisdom to those who think they know better, and extend forgiveness to everyone who seeks him. His coming stands as an affirmation that he will not relent and he will not be satisfied until sin and suffering are no more. And we are like him, dwelling with him in unity, peace, and harmony forever and ever. That's God with us. But I think Paul says it really well in Philippians 2. A great Christmas passage. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. This causes me to wonder in a way that nothing else does. God with us. Hopefully it causes you to wonder as well. Let your wonder at God with us cause you to worship fully. I've been sitting on this topic and just thinking about it for the past couple of months. And I've been listening over and over to this old Christmas carol. And it's just continued to strike me every single time I listen to it. I wonder as I wander. 
And it says this, I wonder as I wander out under the sky how Jesus the Savior did come for to die for poor, ornery people like you and like I. I wonder as I wander out under the sky. Ornery, meaning stubborn. In an affirmative way, however that works, but we're stubborn, we're thick-headed. And God in the flesh came. That should cause us to, to wonder, to worship fully. Lord, um, sometimes I come to speak with you and I just have nothing to say because I recognize who I am and I have a tiny bit of understanding of who you are. I know all the wealth and all the knowledge that I may possess about you and about who you are and about your glory and about your grandeur is just a grain of sand compared to the majesty of you. And I know when someday I get to see you face to face, there is nothing I will be able to do except wonder. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of everything. So God, forgive me when I make this season about anything but you. When I put my focus on things that just don't matter as much. God, please just continue to draw me to you. Continue to give me more of you. Let me understand you more. Let me know you more. Let me uh, just love you more, God. I want more of you. Please just give us more of you. In Jesus' name. Amen.